0: Sword and Staff. I'm your host, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always, is my co host, Richie Brock. And on today's episode of The Sword and Staff, Richie and I are going to be finishing up our series on the underworld. So, last time, Richie, that we got together and we talked about the underworld, we were talking about Hades. And so, in today's episode, we're going to be finishing up the discussion by talking about the second part of the underworld, which is a little further south. A little further south. <laughs> a little further south. A, further south. a lot further south. A lot further south. And we're going to be talking about Tartarus. And so today's episode should be interesting. How are you? How are you feeling about today's episode? Um, I'm excited for this one. I know the, the last one.
1: G- the general public probably has some conception of what Hades is. I mean, mm-hmm. they've had they've heard enough. Greek mythology, even in church history, to know a little bit about Hades, but a Tartarus is something I mean, even for myself and I've I've come from a background in the occult and paganism where these things are pretty prevalent, and I've even learned some things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that it should be interesting. Tartarus is usually not a word that you use here, uh, here used very frequently in Christian vocabulary, but we're going to learn today that Tartarus is a Bible word. It's actually in the Bible and it's used in Second Peter, and so should be an interesting conversation today. And in today's uncut portion of the Sword and Staff, we're going to be discussing misconceptions about hell and the underworld, which there's quite a lot of that (laughs) and so if you guys are wanting the uncut conversation that's going to happen on today's episode you need to go to our patreon and become a patron over there and for just five dollars a month you can get the sword and staff uncut and so every week Richie and I whenever whenever we do these bigger conversations that aren't chinwag conversations Richie and I release uncut episodes on there for just five dollars a month and those episodes have at least 30 extra minutes of bonus content that isn't released anywhere else. Also, if you're a patron, you also get episodes dropped there quicker than they drop on all of our other podcasting platforms, right? So today is Tuesday. This episode is going to drop for patrons tonight. Um, whenever we get finished up here and then it's going to drop on thursday like it typically does for everybody else and it'll drop as the cut episode there so if you're wanting the full conversation today you need to head to www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order get the sword and staff uncut for just five dollars a month and you can tune into the conversation that richie and i are going to be having on tartarus today so so with that out of the way we'll go ahead uh, go ahead and dive into today's topic and to do that like last time we need to set up a little bit of the historical context in which the New Testament was written in which was the world of the Greco-Roman world right, right? so so we mentioned in our last episode that the Greeks and the Romans they had their own conception of Hades and the underworld and the same is true with Tartarus as well. So last week, we started off with a primary Greek source um, by a Greek writer named Hesiod, and he wrote a work called Theogony. And so this week, we're going to do the same. So last week, we talked about that in uh, Hesiod's work Theogony, we learn about the creation of the gods. And in Greek mythology, the gods were they're created beings, right? They're not, they're not eternal ones. And in Hesiod's work... We read that Tartarus was actually one of the first gods. He was—he's uh, referred to as one of the primordial deities. Okay, and so he was the offspring of Aether and Gaia, which is Gaia means Earth. Which we talked right, about that yeah. a little bit last week. But uh, Hesiod also speaks of as Tartarus uh, speaks of Tartarus not just as a primordial deity or god, but also as this geographical place which is south of Hades, um, and he says that it's basically this great abyss and uh, this great pit, right? And there, uh, in this great abyss, the deity, uh, Tartarus, he dwelled there and he reigned there, okay? So it's a little bit of background. Now, the question we have to ask at this point is, reigned over who, right? right? If Tartarus is reigning there in Tartarus, who is it he's reigning over? Right, And so the answer to that question, we learn, in the Greek myths was a group of gods called the Titans. Okay, And so the Titans, they were the pre-Olympian gods. They were the predecessors to the Olympians. And so they were the 12 children of the primordial gods that we talked about here just at the beginning of this. And they were overthrown by the Olympians in what is called the Greek secession myth. And so, basically, to to summarize that myth for you, basically what happens in that myth is there is a titan named Cronus, and what he does is he seizes power from his father Uranus. So Uranus is one of the primordial gods, and he does that by um, castrating him, okay? And so what happens after that is he becomes the ruler of, of the cosmos and the Titans are kind of his subordinates, right? His brothers, his other brothers are his, or his other siblings, I should say are his subordinates. And so, um, so we learn also that, um, at some point in this time, there was a 10 year war that developed between the Titans and the Olympians. So the Olympians are usually, uh, well, they're, they're the offspring of the Titans. So, um, I've actually got that. It's in one of the books. It's in my book bag. We don't need to grab it right now, but so what so they're kind of like the, the those who come after the Titans, right? They're the offspring of the Titans. And so what happens though is in the secession myth, um, there's this ten year war between them and the Olympians called the Titan Machi. And basically uh what happens is they're the Titans are defeated and they're replaced as the ruling pantheon in the Greek myth, okay? And so they're banished from the upper world, which is obviously the world that we're you know, kind of inhabiting, yeah, yeah. right? And they are imprisoned under guard in Tartarus by Zeus. And so Homer, in his work, The Iliad, in 14203 through 204 he actually makes mention of this. He says, Zeus thrust Cronus down to dwell beneath the earth and the unresting sea. So those of you who've been hanging out with us, you know that the unresting sea is kind of symbolism and, um, uh, language used for Hades. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last, uh, in the last episode that we did on the underworld. So basically what Homer is saying is that Zeus imprisoned them, that Cronus and the Titans, he did it. He, uh, he uh, put them below the earth and below Hades down in Tartarus. So so um, as we dig into this a little bit more, we also see that um, there, I think that most people kind of think that whenever they think about the underworld, they typically think of one place, right? Like you typically, like as Christians, like you typically think of this place of fire in the underworld, But as we talked about last week, that's not necessarily the case. Tartarus is actually a distinct part of the Underworld, and it's not the same as Hades or any of the parts of Hades that we talked about last week. Um, So Hades, for the most part, it was a gloomy place where only a select few were blessed. And so uh, Tartarus, on the other hand, in Greek mythology, and as we'll see here in biblical worldview it's actually the place of torment for those who who well in the greek myth it's it's the place where the unvirtuous go or those who are cursed by the gods or who committed crimes okay and so uh hesiod whenever he was talking about how far away it was um geographically he said this he said that actually um if you were to drop a bronze anvil from heaven the anvil would take nine days to reach the earth from heaven, and if you were to, uh, after it reached the earth, if you were to drop it again, it would take nine more days for it to fall from earth down to Tartarus. So, kind of gives you an idea of how how far down we're yeah. talking here, right? That's kind of the, the Greek conception of how this whole thing works. So,
1: yeah, I think that they, even the divide between Hades and Tartarus is something that. Like most people have never has never even considered before.
0: No, yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in today's episode. So, all right, so, so okay, if one were to go to Tartarus, according to the Greek myth, that's some of what they would see down there that we just talked about, right? The whole the Titans, right, who are who are the offspring of the primordial gods, who are imprisoned by Zeus, who was one of the Olympians. But they'd also see some other beings there as well that Tartarus reigned over too. And so in the last episode, we discussed that it was the Realm of the Damned. So remember, in the last episode, we talked about that there were three Greek judges, right? Right. Um, And so basically what their purpose was, was they were originally three Greek uh, kings, and they did such a great job ruling on Earth and uh, dishing out justice that Zeus gave them a role in the underworld doing the same to the souls who came there. And so what would happen, though, is they would judge the individuals who came to Hades and they would sentence them to one of three places. The first, which we talked about last time, again, was the Elysium Fields or the Isles of the Blessed. This is the place where the, those who are favored by the gods go, right? Um, only a select few go here. The other place, and this is where most people ended up, was the Asphodel Fields. And the Asphodel Fields is kind of like a gloomy version of what you're doing on Earth. So in in Elysium, there's no work. It's paradise, right? Um, The Asphodel Fields, though, there's labor, And it's just a gloomier version of the, it's like, it's really, really terrible. Um, So like, that's the best that you're going to get if you're a normal everyday person in, you know, this, this type of uh, worldview. Um, But there was a third place. And so the third place that you would uh, be sentenced to if you were unrighteous or committed crimes against the gods was to Tartarus. Okay. And so you would, your soul would be consigned to Tartarus And whenever you look at the Greek myths, there's a lot of people who were said to be there. But uh, the interesting thing about it is it's pictured as this place of torment and fire, right? Right. Um, And the reason why is because we talked about this river last week, or we talked about that um, there were these rivers in Hades, right? And one of them that we didn't go into a lot of detail about was the River Phlegathon, okay? So the River Phlegathon was this uh, river of fire and it flows out of Hades down into Tartarus and it actually fuels the fires of Tartarus, okay? And this is where the, the, the Titans were punished and the unrighteous, as we said. So with that backdrop in mind, it's time for us now to look at the Hebraic understanding or the biblical understanding of these things as well. And so as we saw in our last episode, and we talked about this just a little bit, we didn't dive into too much detail about it, but we said that in the Bible, the existence of Tartarus is actually affirmed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's actually there. And so Peter, the apostle Peter, who's writing under under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and who is a follower and disciple of Jesus, actually affirms the existence of Tartarus, surprisingly. So in 2 Peter 2.4, he says this. He says, For if God did not spare the angels, but cast them down to Tartarus, the Greek word there, some translations um, will say hell, cast them down to hell. Um, but the interesting thing there is the word that's used is Tartarus which is the Greek word for Tartarus. It says, But um, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for the judgment, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing uh, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, and condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward uh, would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by as a filthy uh, by the filthy conduct of the wicked for the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous uh, his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds then the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the punishment for the day of judgment especially those who walk according to the flesh and in the lust and the uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil or uh, of dignitaries, uh, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusations against them before the Lord. So basically what Peter is saying is this. He affirms the existence of Tartarus. And the interesting thing that he says is, the Greeks are right. There are, there are spiritual beings who are there. Yep. But he says that it's the angels. Now, the thing that he says that's interesting here is it's not just any angels, but he says that it's the angels from the day of Noah. Now, what angels are we talking about here? Well, obviously, we're talking about the watchers who fell and went after strange flesh, right? They committed sexual right. sin, by coming after the daughters of men and having sexual relations and producing giants, the Nephilim as their offspring. So basically what he's saying is so Peter's either doing one of two things or maybe he's doing both. He's either saying he's either setting the Greek myths to right. He's saying, yep, Tartars exist and there are spiritual beings there. but he's saying, but they're not Titans, they're angels. Or he's saying, "But the Titans are angels. One of the two, maybe." You know, so, yes to both. Yeah, yes to both. So it's a, it's, it's really fascinating what he's doing there. It is, right? yeah. Like, like so, it's interesting to me because it's like the Greeks get so close. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, like if you, if you look I mean, in the, just
1: minor tweaks and they have it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, and you know, we talked about that a little bit in the last episode. You know, kind of why that is and personally i think that they're they're familiar with some of the uh the hebraic you know understanding of the underworld and that kind of thing um but it's it's just so fascinating because it's so close um and whenever you look back at the greek myths you actually see the titans doing things very similar to the watchers and that's they're 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 having sexual relations and they're they're reproducing and they're doing all of those types of things right right um so it's fascinating and actually some of the offspring that the titans have are giant cyclops (laughs) So, so it's very similar even to the nephilim and that entire thing so so that's really really interesting now one of the next things uh well first hold on a second let me back up before we go a little bit further um so john walton who's actually a uh A biblical scholar he actually comments on this passage here in uh second peter and he says it this way just to kind of go and show you that like this isn't just us making these connections right like that there are biblical scholars out there who are doing that he says um, most ancient jewish uh, traditions understood the sons of god of genesis 6 1 through 4 as angels who lusted after women and so fell The Greek term here is used from the name Tartarus. So he's even noting that Tartarus is present in this text. He says this is a place in Greek mythology, right, where the most wicked, including the the earlier immortals called the Titans, were tortured in the most unimaginable ways. Some other Jewish sources borrow it to name the place where the fallen angels were imprisoned. Some Jewish people also spoke of the wicked, as in hell, which is Gehenum in Hebrew, um, and it said until the final judgment, as well as afterwards. So it's interesting. So the word in the in the, the Old Testament that gets used to describe this place of fire is Gehenna, and it's used. There's this uh, place outside of Israel called the Valley, uh, the Valley of Hinnom, and so you can see that Gehenum And so basically, what it was is it was the refuse dump for Israel is the place where they took stuff and, and threw it away and it would burn like they, they burn it and it would burn day and night. So it gets used kind of as this picture of hell. And so what's interesting here is John Walton is saying that um, Tartarus is I mean, getting, that's a clear
1: picture of Tartarus yeah. when you put it like that. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so what's happening here is he is saying that Tartarus is being used in the same way. Like in the new Testament, they're not using Gehenna, they're using Tartarus to describe hell. And that's the reason why translators actually translate Tartarus as hell. So this, so in the Bible, Tartarus is hell. Right. Okay, which is different than Hades, which we talked about last week. So anyway, um, now there's another verse um, in Jude in the New Testament, at the end of the New Testament, that actually talks about uh, this exact same thing. So in Jude... Chapter 1, verses 5 through, I think it's 6. Jude says this. Well, I'll start at verse 4. He says, Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for the condemnation, ungodly men who turn from the grace of our our God into lewdness and deny the Lord, God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, But I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward, destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep to their proper habitation and left their own abode. He has reserved into everlasting chains under darkness, under darkness. That's interesting for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner of these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. They are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So basically, Jude, what he is saying is this. He's saying that basically there's these false uh, prophets and teachers who've crept into the church. And he compares them to the angels who sinned. And the the interesting thing about these angels is he says that they committed sins like Sodom and Gomorrah. They went after strange flesh and left right. their proper habitation. What other angels are there that do that in scriptures other than the angels in Genesis chapter 6? Now, some people are saying, well, you know, the interesting thing here is Jude is actually quoting a a uh, second temple work uh, called First Enoch. So later on, a few verses over, um, he's going to, let me see it here. Let me see if, if I can find it. Um. Yeah, yeah, in verse 14, just a few verses down from there. He actually references first Enoch, and he quotes directly from it, talking about uh you know, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied about these men saying behold the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are the ungodly among them for all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and the harsh things which have uh, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So anyway, that verse right there that he's writing in verse 14 is actually a direct quotation from first Enoch, um, chapter one, starting in verse nine. So since Jude quotes it in one 14, let's go ahead and read it. So we said that it says, uh, you know now, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about this. It says, "Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of His saints to execute judgment." Right. Well, listen right. to what Enoch says. He says, "For He comes with His ten thousands and His holy ones to enact judgment <laughs> wow. against against all. He will destroy everyone who is ungodly and reproach all flesh concerning all works of the ungodly. These things they did impiously, harsh words they spoke, and the ungodly sinners spoke against him. So, he's quoting directly from yeah, First there it is, Okay. Now it's interesting because that means that he's reading First Enoch, he's making use of First Enoch, and he's affirming yeah, at he's least parts. directly familiar with the content. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but he's even under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit affirming parts of First Enoch to be true. Right. It's like like some of this is actually inspired stuff. Like the, what's quoted here is direct revelation from God because it's getting quoted in Scripture. So that's, that's fascinating. It really is. Okay. Yeah. Now what's even more fascinating is that once you dive into first Enoch, it talks about this stuff a little bit more. Um, and there's more parallels than you would originally think that there was. So, um, so earlier we talked about uh, Tartarus and we talked about the river of fire there and the Titans, right? Right. Well, the interesting thing is in first Enoch, well, you know, in chapters, you know, six through nine, he talks about the fall of the watchers, which obviously um, we've talked about. But not only does he do that, but he also talks about the uh, Tartarus and not just Tartarus, but also that there is a river of fire flowing out from Tartarus so just a few chapters over from where Jude's quoting in First Enoch, in First Enoch six chapter six through chapters eight and nine, he talks about the fall of the Watchers, which is exactly what Jude's talking about and exactly what Peter's talking about in Second Peter. But just a few more chapters over again, he starts talking about this interestingly enough, this river of fire, which actually flows out from the throne of God. And it flows down to Tartarus, where the angels are kept. Now, obviously, this corresponds to the river Phlegathon, which we just read about and talked about yeah. in the Greek myths. So, in First Enoch 14, here's what he says. And, he's, and so, what's going on here is Enoch is having a heavenly vision. Okay? And so, he's talking about coming before the Holy One. So, he says, "...I went into the tongues of fire and was brought into a great house built of hellstones." The wall of the house was like flat stones, and all went uh, went from snow and a ground of snow. The roofs were like the run were like running across. The roofs were like the running across of stars and lightning, and between them, cherubs of fire and heaven above like water, burning fire surrounded the walls, and its doors were like burning fire. I went into the house, which is as hot as fire and as cold as snow. And it had no sustenance of life. Fear covered me, and trembling took me. I was shaking and trembling, and then I fell. And then I looked again at my vision, and behold, another door opened in front of me. This was a great house, and all was built with tongues of fire. That's that's interesting, because tongues of fire is only used in one place in the Scriptures, and that's in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, yeah. like So that's a really unique term. So obviously Luke has read Enoch too, and he uses yeah. tongues of fire that's on the Apostles. Um, he's pulling that phraseology from First Enoch 14. But anyway, that's a side note. That's not even well, the like point a, I'm getting. That's that, a side that, rabbit hole to dive Yeah, in. that's a whole side rabbit hole. That's not even what I'm trying to get at here. <laughs> but um, so anyway, he says, um, it was all worth more in glory and in honor and in greatness than I am uh, able to point out to you. Uh, its ground was a fire and its upper part was lightning And the spreading out of stars and its roof was a burning fire. I looked and I saw a high throne and its appearance was like crystal, a wheel like the sun shining brightly and a mountain of cherubs. And below the throne, get this, burning rivers of fire were going out and I was not able to see. And the great glory was seated upon it. It's covering like the appearance of of the sun, brighter and wider than all snow, and the angels were not able to go into the house and to see his face because of the honored and the esteemed one, and all flesh was not able to see him. The fire was burning in a circle, and the great fire stood beside it. No one comes near to him in the circle. Numberless ten thousands stood before him, and all of his reason is a work. The Holy ones and all of the angels who come near to him do not withdraw with the night, neither do they leave him. so Enoch is seeing a vision of heaven, and in this vision of heaven he sees the throne of God, and he says that it's in this house it's like made of it's like snow made of snow and hell, you know and and all that and also a fire but he says that there's this circle of fire that's around his high throne none can come near him and proceeding and issuing out from below his his throne is a river of fire okay now the interesting thing is is just a few chapters later enoch kind of does an odyssey so the interesting thing about the Odyssey is the Odyssey is a Greek work. And basically what happens in the Odyssey is that Odysseus goes down into the underworld right. and then comes back, right? So Enoch does the same thing. so But he starts off in heaven and then he goes down into the underworld and comes back. So in Enoch, first Enoch 20, and then in 21, um, we get an idea of where this this river of fire where it's going it's issuing out from the throne of god but it's going somewhere so it says these are the angels of powers uriel one of the holy angels who is over the world and the tartarus which we talked about uriel last week right in his connections to abaddon and apollyon the angel of revelation 9 and revelation 20, 20 um so he's not just associated with hades But here in Enoch, he's also associated with Tartarus as well. Right. Okay. Which would make sense. Like we talked about last week that Hades, there's a spiritual being, Hades, in the Greek myths, who is residing over this area, right? And it's the same thing with Tartarus. Tartarus is a spiritual being who is residing over this part of the underworld. So in the biblical storyline, the one who is over these geographical areas is the archangel Uriel. Or in scripture, Apollyon or Abaddon. Okay? So So going on from there though, Enoch keeps saying. He goes, uh, Raphael, he's one of the holy angels who is over the spirits of humans. Ragiel, one of the holy angels Oh, sorry, I already said Ragiel. No, wait, no, I said Raphael, yeah. not Ragiel. <laughs> <laughs> Ragiel was one of the holy angels who was who avenges the world of the luminaries. Michael, one of the holy angels who was appointed over the good ones of the people and over the chaos serial one of the holy angels who is over the spirits who sin in the spirit gabriel one of the holy angels who is over the orchid the orc the sorry the orchard and the dragons and the cherubim these are the seven names of the archangels so according to him there's more than four archangels there's seven right which interesting numerology and seven is a number of perfection in scripture right but so then after that he says this in 21 he says i visited an unprepared place there i beheld an awesome work i saw neither heaven above nor did i behold the established earth but an unprepared and fearful place there i beheld seven of the stars of heaven bound and thrown into it like great mountains burning with fire wow so who so where is it that he's went well, he's going to Tartarus. And we're going to see that here in a second explicitly. Who was it who was over Tartarus? What angel? Uriel. Okay? All right. So here, he's going to this unfinished place. And there he sees seven stars of heaven bound and thrown into the great mountain like burning fire. Now, we've talked about before that in the symbolism of angels, what's their symbolism? Stars. Stars, yeah. So he's seeing stars bound in fire. Okay. Stars are angels, but here we're going to explicitly see that it's Tartarus. Uh, so there I behold the seven stars of heaven bound, thrown into the great mountain, burning with fire. There I said, for, for what reason were these bound, and to what account were they thrown here? Verse 5, then Uriel, the angel of Tartarus, who is one of the holy angels who was with me, and who went before the angel, said to me, Enoch, for what reason do you ask? Why are you zealous for the truth? These are the stars of heaven, those passing by the command of the Lord. And they were bound here until the fulfillment of countless years, and time served for their sins. Then he talks about, um, Then I visited another place that is even more fearful, and I beheld awesome works. And this was a place of great fire, alighted and burning, and the place had crevices in the deep full of pillars of great fire going down. Neither measure nor breath was I breath was I able to see or conjecture. And then I said, how fearful is this place and how terrible an appearance. And so basically uh, he goes on down here in the uh, in verse 10, and Uriel answered him and said, this is the prison of the angels. They have been held together here until the eternity of eternities. So notice the language here though in Enoch 21 they the angels are kept in tartarus where uriel is at and the language that it uses is it says that they're bound right this is the same exact language used in the new testament in places like jude and then in second peter in jude he talks about that the angels have been reserved in everlasting chains in darkness it's the same language here they're kept for the eternities of eternities Right? Bound. And here it says bound in chains. And then it's the same thing in Second Peter 2 4. They're bound in gloomy chains of darkness. Right. Yep. So it's very obvious what's going on here. Right? They're they're quoting and making use of Enoch. But it's interesting though, because in their understanding of the underworld, it's very similar to what we're seeing in the Greek story that we're looking at. Right. right? Yeah. There are spiritual beings there. It's the angels who have fallen in the Genesis six story, the sons of God, the watchers. And they're being kept in this place called Tartarus where there's this river of fire flowing to light its fires. And we learn in Enoch that this flame, this flaming river, is actually issuing forth from the throne of God itself. Right. And it's going to fuel that area. So to me, I think that's fascinating. It is.
1: I mean, the Greeks have uh, kind of a... A partial picture of the, the lake of, of the river of fire there but then with enoch you
0: it really traces it back to its source yeah yeah it's it's really fascinating so um so yeah i me I'm pull back up my outline here so it's very uh, obviously it's it's a parallel with the the river phlegathon and you know that entire yeah. thing so um so now we need to dive into application <laughs>
1: What in God's oh name?
0: What in God's name do we do with all this? Right? Like it's it's one of those things. Well, the first thing that we need to know, I think, is we need to know the eternal destiny of the underworld. Like what's going to happen to these places? Like what like are are these places eternal? Like, you know, right. that kind of thing. And the answer is some of them, not all of them. Right? We already talked about last week that Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, on Holy Saturday, he actually goes into a part of the underworld, right, into Abraham's bosom, and he ransoms the saints of old from Abraham's bosom. That place is now empty. There are no saints there anymore. Now, if you die, if you're a saint, in the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. right? Right. We no longer die and go to Abraham's bosom. It's been emptied out by Christ. But there is punishment still happening in hades okay it's if you die outside of christ you go to temporal torment in hades not eternal torment temporal torment in hades but what's going to happen with those well Tempor- I, can say, I
1: can already i can already see the hate comments popping up right now well it's
0: this the, don't misunderstand this it's yeah. going to end up it's going to be it's going to uh become eternal torment right. but here's what's going to happen this is the vision of uh for the underworld that the bible gives in revelation 20 okay so in revelation 20 the apostle john says this just a second let me get turned there Always turning to my Bible, <laughs> always taking up time turning to my Bible. All right, all right. So this is starting in verse eleven of Revelation twenty. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. So we've got the high throne in Enoch. Yep. We've got the great a great white throne, and he who was sat on it whose face uh, the earth and heavens fled away. So in Enoch they couldn't look upon his face. Right. You remember right. that, yep. yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same thing in Revelation 21. It says uh, he sat him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. There was found no place for them. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God, and books were opened. So there's this resurrection going to happen at the last day, whenever Christ finally returns. The day of judgment comes, and then all are resurrected. This is called the general resurrection of the dead. Um, and so here's what happens. At the, the resurrection of the dead. This is both believer and unbeliever. All are going to be resurrected at the last day. And it says, books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Listen to this. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And then death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who's, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So here's what's going to happen. Those who are currently undergoing temporal torment in Hades, they're going to be resurrected at the last day, just like everybody else. And then what's going to happen is there's going to be a judgment. We're going to stand before the throne of God. And he's going to consign some of us, those who are trusting in the work of Christ, he's going to consign us to eternal life. But those who were in Hades, the dead that death and Hades gave up, those who were not trusting in him, they're going to be consigned not to temporal judgment, but eternal judgment in the lake of fire. Right. So, and then he goes on to say, then death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. Right. Right, so death in Hades is like th- it's this temporal judgment in this place. of Yeah, temporal. even the
1: temporal place is getting tossed into the lake. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: Even even the geographical temporal place of judgment is getting cast into the lake of fire, and then we learn that Satan and his angels are going in there as well. they're it's all going in there. But that's the Bible's vision of how this whole thing is going to work out. Right, there's going to be this resurrection at the last day, and then not only that, but. The, the those who were in the temporal place at one point, they're going to experience the second death, right? You died once and experienced temporal judgment. Then you're going to be resurrected, and then you're going to die again. But you're going to die for eternity in the lake of fire. That's the second death. Yep. That's what the Bible means by they experienced the second death how do you die to, what else does it yeah. what else could it possibly mean yeah, other than exactly. you're, you're resurrected and now you're going to die again but you're going to die eternally so but not only that but the the place where the temporal judgment's happening is even going to be cast into tartarus into the lake of fire so that's that's it that's the destiny of the underworld it's uh Gehenna, uh hades hades uh you know abraham's bosom that entire thing that is a temporal place and it's going to be cast into this place that will burn for eternity so wild wild ride wild ride for sure wild yeah. ride um okay so that's the first thing that you need to know
1: that's the first thing you need <laughs> that's,
0: know. A, that's the first thing that you need to know that's the first point of application is is um yeah like you, I mean that
1: was a rabbit hole in and of itself but that's the first thing
0: well that's the first thing is that you need to know you need to know that if you die in the Lord to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord but you also need to know that that's the eternity of the underworld like that's what's going to happen so uh, Hades and death that's that's temporal but Tartarus is forever and so you need to know that, right? Um, and there's no, again, <laughs> there's there's some you know parts in the church calendar that celebrates this, and you know uh, which we talked about last week in Holy Saturday, right, where Christ goes down. Right. Yeah. Um, Mike Heiser actually thinks that that Jesus went down and preached to the. He actually thinks that he went down and preached to the angels in Tartarus so that's kind of fairly interesting he actually thinks that baptism is symbolizing that so uh you know baptism the water symbolizes chaos death you know that kind of thing right and then you go down into the water into the realm of death and then what happens you come up out of it so he actually thinks that it's kind of uh, that your baptism is actually a kind of shaming the spirits who are kept in gloomy chains there he he thinks that it's kind of like this. You uh, you go. Th- they have been assigned below the waters, below the dark, beneath the darkness that it says, um, which I, we need to talk about that in the uncut episode, <laughs> the uncut section yeah. where it says that they're kept below the darkness. That's interesting. Yeah. It actually reconciles some of the Bible verses that you see that people out there are like oh hell can't be hot and it can't have fire and because it's talking about it's in darkness how do you have darkness and how do you have fire well it says that they are kept below the darkness the darkness is is uh hades right it's this shadowy place this dark place the shadowy realm yeah yeah the shadowy realm and tartarus is not that tartarus is the realm of fire brimstone all the stuff that enoch's talking about so that's most most of the time, what's happening is people are confusing these Bible verses, right? They're confusing Hades Bible verses or Sheol Bible verses with Tartarus or Gehenna right. Bible verses. They're not the same, so that kind of settles some of that debate. If you have these categories in your mind, but we'll talk about that a little bit more in the uncut episode. But um, but yeah, uh, back around here, there's there's parts of this though in the church calendar that gets celebrated, and you. You should, you should celebrate that. You should celebrate you it. Should back se- to the church calendar again. Back to the, back to the church calendar, um, which we're going to be doing an episode on the church calendar first week of November. And I'm actually trying to write a book on the church calendar. I've actually got the outline finished for it and the table of contents finished for it. I just need to get to work on it and finish it. Yeah. And so for those of you guys who are asking us questions about the church calendar, hopefully we've got a lot of resources coming to you on that. But um, so, yeah, um, I think the application for this episode really is kind of one of those the more you know the the, more you know you know like it's uh like that's that's what's going to happen to the underworld that's what happens whenever you die um and yeah and then there's times consigned in the uh the church calendar to to celebrate some of this type of stuff Oh, oh, I remember what I was saying about baptism now. I got off on a rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have my outline in front of me, guys. I'm I'm wing, literally winging all this. So yeah. if you hear a lot of ums and stuff on my part, it's it's like authentic. It's all good. It's just how it goes. Yeah, it's authentic, and I don't have an outline in front of me talking off of it. But, uh, but yeah, so Heiser thinks that... Uh, so they're kept below darkness. They're kept in the underworld, and they're chained there. They can't come back out, right? So he thinks that Jesus goes there because it does say talk about um well i have to find it later um he thinks that jesus goes there and he shames the spirits there and um he's like hey you guys are never leaving here but i am and then he resurrects and he thinks that that in some ways that that's uh there's an element of spiritual warfare to baptism where we also enter in the realm of the dead right we enter in below the waters. And then we rise up again, like like Christ. We're we're doing that. So I need right. to think about that a little bit more. I'm not so sure that I'm comfortable in saying that Christ went to Tartarus into uh, into that that part. Like that's the realm of the condemned. So uh, I don't know. Like there's there's a big bugaboo in traditional you know in traditional Christianity about where exactly Christ goes and if it's appropriate for him to go. To where the lake of fire and all that's at so i don't think that i'm comfortable saying that but i think that it is interesting yeah um and it does fit into some of this application um so there actually dr heiser released a whole video on that so you could find that and and uh i've actually shared it before because i found it to be interesting so but you can find that on his social media and that could be a point of application too like with baptism if that's uh i think like i said i need to dig into that a little bit more and think about it but yeah so all right. Well, Richie, do you got anything else before we uh, sign off on today's episode?
1: Not for the regular episode.
0: <laughs> Not your savings for the uncut, but... Th- yeah, you're saving all of your stuff for the uncut. Well, guys, we're coming in at about 50 minutes on this episode. We know that this episode is a little bit shorter than it typically is. And honestly, the reason why is just because there's a lot more stuff out there on tar- on Hades than there is on Tartarus. And so uh, basically what we wanted to do was to tie up the loose ends that we kind of had out there in the last episode, right? Because there was a couple times throughout the last episode, Richie, where you and I were like, yeah, we can say a little bit more about this, but we'll wait till the next episode. So we wanted to take those specific (laughs) things that we mentioned with uh, Tartarus the angels, the river Phlegathon, Enoch. We wanted to take those loose ends and tie them up in this episode. So that's why it's a little bit shorter. There's more stuff out there on on uh, on Hades and there is Tartarus. But we hope that what we did today... Um, gave you guys a fuller vision of what's going on with the underworld and what its desti- what the destiny of it is at the, the last day. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And so if you want to continue hearing the conversation that Richie and I are going to have, head on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order. Get the sword and staff uncut for just $5 a month. And you can get the episodes delivered to you faster, you can get them first, and you get our uncut editions of The Sword and Staff. So on today's episode, Richie and I are going to be discussing big misunderstandings and misconceptions about hell, and the underworld, and all of this stuff that we've been talking about on these last couple of episodes should be really fun. We're probably going to actually um, solve some confusing things out there. Like, you've got people who talk about, you know, eternal conscious punishment, and then people who, who believe in annihilationism, and I think that a lot of what's going on with some of this is they're reading some of these verses wrong, and right. they're lumping some of these verses into verses that uh, need to be in different categories. So, I we think that we've got the answer for a lot of this these debates, if you can just properly understand the biblical underworld and understand how all of this works so but if you want that get the sword and staff uncut richie and i are going to continue this conversation off after we sign up and so richie i give you one more chance you got anything to say i'm good i'm You're good good okay well guys thank you so much for listening today to today's episode thank you again and we'll see you next time see you then